Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. I have my dessert first. Oh, is that a political statement or a medical condition, perhaps? I just don't see the point in waiting. What if I die eating my vindaloo? Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Surviving Chick Flicks. I'm John. I'm Sammy. And I'm Joseph. So, uh, life has a way of getting in the way of the show sometimes. And uh, once again, we are without Joseph. And this is a weird episode because this is the first time in maybe since April. It's just you and me. It is a weird episode. Yeah. Um... Like who's gonna who's gonna make me behave? I I don't know. So, I have cause... no idea. But I have to say, given the anniversary um, of this episode's release, um, if there were ever an episode that you were to get us canceled, John, this would be the one. What? Wait. Why is it me? Why is it me? All of a sudden. <laughs> Also, we can't get canceled because before we get into what we're uh, talking about, we have an announcement for the audience member. Um, <laughs> as of th- as of this recording, uh, we are on both Amazon Music and Audible. Um, so we are moving we ha- on up in the world. We are. We are still not on Google because, well, of course, we're not. But we're like literally every other place you can get a podcast. <laughs> John has bribed people, and there yeah. we are. Actually, no, it was, it was our uh, our host, uh, Anchor, just sent me an email. He, he was kind of like, hey, you want to be on Amazon and Audible? And I'm like, sure, what do I have to do? And they're like, just type in your RSS feed. Why are you making this a thing? So <laughs> it was that simple. I should, I'm really kind of underplaying our accomplishments, aren't I? <laughs> Just a little, but if only everything were that simple. Yeah. All right, but you kind of you kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit, though. We are, if you're hearing this, and uh, the goal is we are dropping this this episode on September 11th, and it will be the, jeez, 20 year anniversary. Oh Lord. God. Uh, kind of hard to think about, um, but I, I can't even believe it's been that long. It, it really it strikes me to think about the fact that there are people living now that not even teenagers, grown adults that have no memory of that event, and mm-hmm. some that weren't even alive when it happened. I know to them, it's just complete history. Yeah, well, it's kind of like, um, you know, Pearl Harbor for us, you know, I mean, we, we hear about in history, but 
so many people were, you know, alive when that happened. And no, things true. like things like the Challenger explosion and uh, JFK's assassination. Assassination. And, yeah. But and I swear we're going to be making jokes later, mostly aimed at the movie we're talking about. Which, Sammy, what movie are we talking about this week? So we are covering "Remember Me." Yep. So there is a lot to talk about in this movie, and I kind of want to get the discussion going. So real quick, why don't we play the trailer, and then we'll come back and we'll do the thing we do. Gandhi said that whatever you do in life will be insignificant. But it's very important that you do it. Officer, those two were just trying to stop it. Go home. Hey, 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 don't. I tend to agree with the first part. You could do worse than have a father who bails you out of jail. I don't want to be bailed out of anything. Why do you think Dad doesn't want to spend time with me? She knows I'll take care of her. That's all there is, Tyler. That's all there is? Not enough. You know you can't smoke in here. Why, why do you have an ashtray? It's a bowl. It completes the room. I guess it was just here to tease me. You've been a ghost past couple of weeks, all right? You don't want to go out anymore. I had enough of this introvert stuff, okay? I'm ready to set an intervention here. He has got a daughter. Who's got a daughter? The cop that busted your face all up. He's got a daughter. I know her. She's in my global politics class. Go get her. I, I don't date sociology majors. Lucky for you, I'm, I'm undecided. About what? Everything. What desserts do you have? I have my dessert first. What is that? This is our appetizer. That's why chicks dig you, man. They love this freaky poetic crap. Charles, it's your son. Yeah, I was wondering if you wanted to have dinner. How many? Three. He can stand me up, but he can't stand you up. You gotta take care of nothing! You're responsible for no one! You're a kid! I'm going out. Who are you going with? The boy from school. You're kind of lost, aren't you? You think you know me. You don't. My dad just doesn't know what's going on right now. What's going on right now? trying to tell me something make your yours forever and i'm working on the forever part alan coulter his second of two films to date can i just say so, first of all how proud i am of you that you did not yet refer to him by his Twilight name. So, so spoiler alert. Yeah, we again we warned them at the beginning of the show. <laughs> I recorded I'm the just, thing very specifically. I'm just saying, saying. Normally, we bury the lead a little better. I mean, that was well, the movie did a great job with its twist ending. You not so much. Well, also we opened up the show saying, "Hey, we're dropping this movie on 9/11." For, oh, that's you know, fair. It, it, we, there, you know, it's not like you know, 
we're talking 9-11 this week because, we, you know, we want to honor New York's finest. And this week we're talking about Police Academy 4. <laughs> like, there's got to be a actual a connection. connection. No, yeah. I hear you. Uh, and uh, well, and this is a good segue into my first question. Uh, Sammy, do you remember when you first saw this movie? Um, despite the title. No, I'm kidding. Actually, um, <clears throat> I'm not 100% positive on this one, but I'm pretty sure <clears throat> I saw it in theaters. Because once again, this is another one of those where I saw the preview. <clears throat> and it was, <clears throat> I know, post the first Twilight. So remind me, what year did it come out? <clears throat> Twilight or Remember Me? No, Remember Me. Uh, 2010. Yeah, this, she doesn't. Yeah, this came out around the same time as Eclipse. So, right. <clears throat> so, I was still very much in that phase of my life, like going to the midnight premieres of Twilight. So, obviously, not knowing because the uh, preview for the film did nothing to suggest what was going to occur or the connection to 9 11. So, I would not have guessed. All I knew is he was in the film, it looked like a romance. The preview was a was a pretty decent preview, so um, I'm I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters. Well, this may shock you, but I didn't see this movie until this week. Um, and here is the part of the episode where I'm going to bash Twilight, and this is the one and only time I'm intending to do this, and it's for 2010, John. Not 2021, John. Because uh, 2010, John, had already been to at least one Twilight Midnight screening. And I know Eclipse was the last one I saw. So this movie was coming out post-Twilight, kind of. And I was pretty sour on both of them. Uh, K-Stu and R-Pats, as I like to call them. Um, so it got lumped into... The I don't want to see this um, category, and it specifically had to do with them. It's like that's the reason I didn't see Snow White and the Huntsman in theaters. Why I didn't see this one in theaters? Just because I just I didn't even see Adventureland until it hit like DVD or cable because I was just so over Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson at that point. Cut to now, I will die on any hill defending these two actors so i've come a long way and i'm kind of glad you picked this because i did kind of want to see where where a lot of people point to the beginning of the shedding of the edward cullen um mystique around our pets because it wasn't until cosmopolis with him that I, when he started working with david cronenberg that i start having an interest in what he was doing again and you know, he's kind of had a really cool career since Twilight. I see where you're coming from. And like every teenage girl, I was completely obsessed with Twilight and was at, I think, every midnight screening, which, by the way, uh, was a very special experience. Um, so uh, real quick, my, my one Twilight midnight screening, I, I actually went with Joseph and his wife at the time and some other friends. And because I got tickets so late, I we were all three in different. We were all in different theaters. Like, oh, no. yeah, like um, his uh, his 
ex and um, uh, one of my exes uh, were in one theater. I think he was in one that started like 15 minutes uh, later. And then I was the one that started 15 minutes after that. So they all had to wait on me to get out. And the one moment I do remember very vividly is the theater lost its shit whenever someone from the theater came in and was just like basically telling a bunch of teenagers, uh, hey, behave like adults. And then they were like, and also we're throwing in the Harry Potter trailer, whichever one. And they lost their minds. I was just oh like, oh, my gosh. And at the time I was just like, yeah, Harry Potter trailer. Well, it's like, it's it's a different experience, and I really miss mm-hmm. them, and I would still go to them. Like, midnight screenings, there's just something a little more exciting about watching a film that way, because everyone's invested, people gasp, you know, they laugh together. It's it's mm-hmm. an interesting experience, but... Yeah, well, and we are talking about a, pre, a pre-COVID world, and we're also talking about a, I think, really, God, how do I say this and not sound incredibly insensitive but i think after the dark knight rises aurora shooting the concept of the midnight screening kind of for lack of a better word died because if you look at you know because back then they were still doing the midnight showings and now it's like 7 p.m the thursday before it's true you know it it definitely it definitely has changed plus Um, that help plus that also helps like working people you know see a movie the night before and also theaters don't have to pay uh, employees overtime at that point and also whenever you're an old man like me a midnight movie meant something edgy and dangerous like you're not supposed to see it like you know you know cult films like evil dead up in smoke Eraserhead, pink flamingos that kind of shit so (laughs) rocky horror picture show right you know well the original midnight movies (laughs) And I'm actually not ashamed to say, I mean, it's what is interesting is watching um, watching Robert Pattinson start in Harry Potter and Twilight. So you had kind of no context other than those movies Mm -hmm. and then seeing this film, which is really that was my first experience in watching him in like a film in a film like this. So I kind of affectionately call it the film where I learned he could act. So now going back and watching Twilight, because yes, I definitely still watch it. I have a different perspective on what he's doing in those films. And he is definitely, he's definitely underrated. Yeah. um, I will agree that he's underrated and I think he's about to get appropriately rated uh, come March of next year. Yeah. The Batman. But also, um, while I still haven't seen Good Time, the Safety Brothers movie that they made before Uncut Gems, but stuff like The Lighthouse and even movies that weren't necessarily that great, like Cosmopolis and Maps to the Stars, his two movies he made with David Cronenberg, um, he has gone out of his way to prove that he's a really good actor. And we kind of forget he was in Tenet uh, last year. The Chris Nolan movie that, you know, was supposed to save movie theaters and it, you know, didn't. Yeah, but, he yeah. definitely was one of those people that succeeded at shedding his image. Like when I watch him in yeah. a film, it's not like all I see is Robert Pattinson. Yeah, I mean, it's not like all I see is Edward Cullen or. Now with Kristen Stewart, I, I don't see Bella. I just see Kristen Stewart and it's just like, oh, in this movie, Kristen Stewart's Charlie's Angel. And in this movie, uh, 
she's doing this and in this movie she's a lesbian you know that's mm-hmm. basically been her career but you know but I do think that she is a great actress but I do I, you know I still haven't seen Personal Shopper or Clouds of St. Mira the two like um, give me an Oscar movies she was in <laughs> um, so I don't know what she did in that but seeing her play Joan Jett and in Adventureland and even the um, lesbian Christmas rom-com that she made last year that was liked by everyone except for lesbians, apparently. I, I think she's a great... I think she's a good actress, and I think she's working to shed the whole Bella thing, but I I just kind of see Kristen Stewart, kind of like with Anna Kendrick, you know, who I love to no end. I just kind of see Kristen... I just kind of see Anna Kendrick playing whatever role she happens to be in, and that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, and and with Chris, since it was completely different for me because I had I had more context about her going into Twilight. I had yeah. seen her in other stuff, and I knew she could yeah. act. Uh, I want to say my first in- introduction to her was probably Panic Room. Yeah, I, I'm mine too. And I'm going to say something that sounds like a shitty comment, and I'm just saying that it says more about the film, that film, than the other film she's made. That's her best film to date, and she was 11. I agree. Yeah, and and yeah, nothing. Uh, yeah, and I'm not knocking anything that she's made since then. In that statement, it's just you know, she, God, she worked with Jodie Foster and David Fincher, and you know, cult leader Jared Leto. She first rattled out of the box, so good for her. Yeah, it's also like and, a uh, super underrated movie. Who who am I to judge? Because the fact that I have seen. Twilight far more times than I have seen. Panic Room says a lot about uh, me. So, you know. well, to, 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 to be fair, I may have seen Twilight more than I've seen Panic Room, but that's also because Panic Room is kind of uh, one of those movies that another David Fincher movie I would compare it to is The Game, in which you really only got a couple of viewings in that movie before it stops being suspenseful. Right. Yeah. Unlike some of his other films where you could watch them a hundred times and still discover something new every single time. <laughs> However, we are not However, here to talk about Kristen Stewart because she was not in this film. She was not. She was replaced by a girl from Lost and Pierce Brosnan doing an accent. And I'm not sure what it was, but it was an accent. Wasn't his own. I, I think it was an attempt at a New York accent. Um, but you know what? Honestly, it didn't really bother me that much because, uh, you know, see Leonardo DiCaprio in Blood Diamond. And I think you can really go only go up from there. So as never, long as you meet that threshold, you're fine. Yeah. Having, having never seen Blood Diamond, I'm just going to. You know, take your word for it. You know, honestly, I don't think it was as bad as everybody else makes it out to be, but it's it's not the best, and it is also no secret that uh, DiCaprio struggles with accents. It's his kryptonite. They were too shit scared of uh, uh, pissing off Scorsese. So, <laughs> so before we kind of get into this movie, because I have a question that uh, I want to lead off the film discussion, but since this movie is, and you know, the episode debut is very much steeped in the anniversary of 9-11 let's just ask the question like 8,000 other podcasts have asked but we but it's our turn 
what <laughs> do you remember from that day? Because I have a story. <laughs> so what I remember from that day is uh, it was a pretty normal day. And I was in fourth grade. So I had to, I went to a really small private school. And our fourth grade classroom was separated from the rest of the classes. It was separated from the main building. We were in little, we were in a little portable building. So we had no television and it was a completely, it was separated. We were doing something. I can't remember what it was, taking a geography test or something. And our, somebody came in and spoke to our teacher. And then all of a sudden she got upset and told everyone to get up and come with her to the fifth grade classroom. So we went into the main building and we sat on the floor of the fifth and sixth grade classroom and watched the television. And um, I, I think it was after the second plane had already hit. We mm -hmm. were watching the aftermath. And, you know, at 10 years old, you don't, you don't really understand what's going on. You just know that it's bad. And yeah. then a bunch of our parents came and picked us up, you know. They told all the parents that they could come pick up their kids. So I remember my mom coming to pick me up and simultaneously being freaked out and also feeling really guilty because I was, you know, I was a kid. So I was also excited to get out of school, which is a pretty terrible feeling to yeah. have when all of that's going on. Right. <laughs> um, and then I just remember kind of on and off seeing footage for the rest of the day. And no, but I have a pretty good uh, watching it happen yeah so what do you remember about that day uh so i remember i had a very important um government two class in my sophomore year of college at like eight something in the morning and i have to now publicly admit i fell asleep in class because okay we've yeah. all done it yeah and our our teacher, who's you know sadly no longer with us because he wasn't in good health back then, um, but he's he got us newspapers every day and would encourage us to get them so that way we would begin discussion of what you know what's going on like what what was in the paper what did you see you know uh, trying to get us being aware of uh, current events. That morning he actually started a class with. What do we know? And I, before I, you know, went off to La La Land, um, remember hearing someone talk about a plane hitting the World Trade Center. And at the time, none of us knew what that meant. So I, you know, was kind of like, what pilot doesn't see the World Trade Center? Like, how do you hit that? It's pretty big. Because we, we didn't know it was a coordinated attack. So I left that class and I had a gap and I saw people were upset, but I had no context for what was going on. And I went to my next class, which was me music appreciation with Mitch, with, with Mr. Skoog. And he came into class and he goes, guys, with everything going on, I'm just too upset to do this. So class dismissed. And, um, when I was in college, my first two years, I was part of the athletic training program, uh, doing sports medicine. And so, I, after that class, went into the gym for the school and asked the athletic secretary, what is going on? And she filled me in on what was going on. And 
we pretty much had the news on in the training room for the rest of the day. Uh, so, but we weren't watching news the entire time because you know the show must still go on with uh, sports. So we we had practice that afternoon, and of course, you know, athletes and everyone. We all had our you know who do, who do you think did it? And then after a certain point, it just kind of became, ah, let's just get our minds off and off of this and do, you know, what we're here to do. And I still remember a study hall night in the library where we all sat around. Um, the TV and watch. I think it, it was either the night after or the ni- whenever Bush finally addressed the nation. And we all, I remember standing in the li- library just in a group watching him speak. I, you know, it's, it's very strange. I remember that feeling too, because especially, especially being so young, no mm-hmm. one understood at the time, like what, what happened? Like why? Cause I, I you know, you, that's your initial reaction too. It took a while to, for everyone to understand that it was a coordinated, you know, event. And yeah. then mm-hmm. a long time after that to understand exactly what happened, but yeah. it really hit me too. It was, it was, um, um, so it was just a totally surreal experience being there with people mm-hmm. that, um, to them, it's like the same thing as reading about world war two. Yeah. And that was the maybe the last time I was on board with what the U.S. government was doing. Like, because at that point I identified as Republican because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then within like three years, I was the annoying liberal who won't shut up. (laughs) And in some ways, still there. Um, But that was the beginning of me becoming politically aware and kind of understand, you know, learning more about um, the things that go on. So it was interesting time. Well, I don't think you're alone in the fact that for at least a while there, it made everybody more aware. And I will say something yeah. else I remember about it that was kind of nice considering all we've, you know, all the world kind of has been through over the past couple of years is that I do remember for a period of time there for like a brief period of time after it happened it was like nobody was fighting over the little stuff like absolutely none of that mattered so moving swiftly along sammy i have a question for you shoot this movie that you made me watch what that's not a good start yeah what in the cinnamon toast fuck is this movie so it's a movie is it um because this well, yes, is where I'm where I'm ceasing to pretend anymore. <laughs> it is a film. Uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to characterize it. Uh, because the, I uh, the workings of a first year film student. I, I <laughs> no, and that is insulting to first year film students. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's a film that was possibly trying to say too much. At one time, and I'm not necessarily going to fault it for that because I'm tempted to make a comparison in defense of this film that no one is going to like, but I think it would be better to start with what your issues are with the film and let me defend it the way, kind of the way we normally do. Right, where I say something and you're like, no, John, you're wrong. Here's why. Exactly. We've gotten a rhythm down. Um, I will I will backtrack slightly and say that this script 
existed for a, a while before it got made. And it was actually part of, it was one of the uh, Blacklist scripts, which um, if, you, if you don't know what that is, it means you're not super into screenwriting. But the Blacklist was basically a list of great screenplays that got passed around to studios, you know, you know like the bong, and never got produced and got voted on which ones were one of the best ones. And this was one of the best scripts on the Blacklist. And uh, for a while, they actually did a podcast where they um, read those scripts, but it got too expensive to continue. But the blacklist still exists. And sometimes those films do inevitably get made, and sometimes, you know, to great success, and sometimes they barely resemble what, you know, because the script will change once the director and a, and a studio gets a, a hold of it. And in fact... This movie was greenlit, and Robert Pattinson was cast before Twilight had ever been released. So he won this role, not even with not even a hint of Edward Cullen in the studio's eyes. Ironically, released by the same studio as Twilight. That you know, that's kind of interesting. It means uh, you know somebody saw in him what was there before. Twilight, yeah. I existed, which, you know what? I mean, to be fair, that might have actually lost him some jobs. It, it probably did, but at the same time, he probably bought several nice houses with that Twilight money. So That is also fair. Yeah, and also, he used some of his own money to finance this movie to get it finished made, because if you'll watch the credits again, it says executive producer Robert Pattinson. He invested some of his own money in this, which you don't do because it's a gamble. He, this movie could have bombed. And luckily for him, this movie is not a financial bomb. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think there's also something behind why. Yes, this is a this Twilight-shaped was, reason why this movie was successful. No, and I think also, you know, I think there is some credibility to the fact that it was considered one of the best scripts on the blacklist. Yes, but... We don't know what the script that was on the blacklist looks like compared to the movie we got. And that is the same argument to be made about any movie that was on the blacklist that got made. I mean, that that is fair, but I, yeah. I have, I mean, I understand. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to like sit here and pretend this film is without flaws because it, it certainly has them. Um, and mm -hmm. it's been, you know, watching it back, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I saw them more than I did at the time for sure. But there's still a lot I like about this movie. And okay, I still so think there's a lot that's defensible. There is. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. Um, part of what helped shape my opinion of this movie, besides the first watch and the rewatch, in between, I listened to a podcast, and it is a movie, and it is a movie podcast about bad movies. And they specifically picked this movie to talk about. And, yes, yeah, they made a lot of jokes. And I intend to make many of my own uh, about this movie. And they had issues with this movie before the 9-11 sequence happens. <laughs> and some of it is just in terms of plotting and character development and um, things like in one scene, um, Emily DeRaven's character, Allie, you know, is basically telling her dad that she's going on a date and, you know, he's giving her cab fare and all happy. And in the next scene that they're in together, he's yelling at her and he slaps her. So, I mean, 
character motivations in this movie boggle my mind a lot of the time because everyone in this film is a broken, damaged human being. And I, let's let's rewind to the very beginning of this movie. Allie's character sees her mom shot, turn back around and come back out from the train to shoot the mom, which they wasted Martha Plimpton for one scene because I was like, okay, maybe she's going to show up in a flashback. Nope. Nope. That was, that was a one and done with Martha Plimpton. And then he gets back on the train after he shoots her in front of witnesses. Who does that? No, I actually, I love that scene. And here's, here's why I think that they, what they did was really smart. And here's why I like it. What, who did was smart? That first, the filmmakers, why I actually like what the director's choice was there. First of all, it's an impactful first scene because you don't know what's going on. And it did, like, don't get me wrong. It did give me a little bit of like Batman ripoff vibes. But um, what I liked about it is even even though you anticipated that that was going to happen, I liked the timing of it. They robbed them. They got on the subway intending to leave. And you knew that you thought they were going to get away. Like, and, and that was the concept behind what they were doing. They were going to give you that breath of relief. And you could see it in the tone of that first scene. They thought, okay, that was horrible, but they're going away. And then the door opens. And they shoot him, and the door closes again. And I don't know. I thought that was a smart choice. But they shot him in front of witnesses. Okay. And, and we but don't that, hear well, of, the, maybe... of those. And we never hear of. Did, did they catch those two guys? It's like now, whatever I, I, happened. <laughs> that's a fair argument. Are um, they about to have to shoot uh, an entire train car full of people? I didn't see a lot of witnesses. I'm assuming there were, but. You recognize the reason he shot her is because she was staring right at him and he recognized she saw his face. Yeah, but still, I mean, a lot of other people saw his face too. And it's also realistic. I mean, people that are in that situation that make those kind of choices, nobody ever said they make smart choices. In fact, I can promise you they don't. Yes, but in movies, sometimes they're supposed to. Well, no, I, I, I completely disagree with that. In fact, that was just I, me being whiny. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I like it because I do think it was it was a semi-realistic choice. Maybe. But um, this movie, yeah. but even things like when Chris Cooper arrives on the scene of his wife's murder and he picks up the ring, the wedding ring, and it's just like, ooh, is this ring going to matter other than it just being his, his wife's wedding ring in the moment? And it's like, is this ring going to be significant at any point in the movie other than this shot? No. And that, that's part of my problem with this movie is like so much stuff is set up in one scene and dropped by the next. It was like I was watching an episode of The L Word. <laughs> I, I would actually completely agree with you there. There are some there. It's almost like a weird roller coaster. There's a lot of foreshadowing. There's a lot of things, plot points that they set up. They did not follow through on. So in, yeah. in that sense, I would I think that those aspects of the film are very poorly executed. In what otherwise could have been a very good film because the acting was good. I don't think the script was necessarily bad. And what was there in the script did not suffer from like poor execution. I think the actors did a really good job with what they were given, but there's a lot of, there's your point with what they were given. Yeah. And I don't know know if that was so much the script or what, I don't know if that was its original form or they ran out of time or money, but 
yeah they're, or they're, a I little bit of you. all of the above <laughs> there's definitely some aspects of the plot that they did not follow up on yeah and then some of the ones that they did why like the roommate i detest robert pattinson's roommate in this movie and i know you said very early on he is one of your favorite characters i need you to explain to me why because this guy and every single moment this guy was on camera talking I just wanted someone to hit him with a bat. Because <laughs> our first introduction to his character is he brags about selling our, our passes one nightstand, a toothbrush for $3, and then goes on to pitch him on a thing called the Single Ladies Universal Tote, a.k.a. the slut, to sell to women for, night, for single women for nights out. And at that point, I'm like, you're going to have to jump through many, many hoops to redeem yourself after that. Um, so recognizing this was the early 2010s when you could do things like that. Um, not saying that is a good thing. I'm saying it existed in the world at the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I will back him up. that The idea of that tote is actually a really genius idea. Don't the name is slut. terrible. The name is awful. <laughs> However, um, so he he's the comedic relief of this, and that's part of what I like about him. Is he? he? Yes, yes, he is. And he's a different type of flawed protagonist than Robert Pattinson is. Robert's one type of flawed protagonist. He's like an anti-hero almost. And his roommate is an entirely different kind. And I, I like him for all the little ways that they make him likable. The little his, things he does, like dancing with, you know, dancing with um, Tyler's little sister and going to, you know, going to bat for his best friend. There's glimpses there you see of of his actual character. So I almost blame the film more than the character, because if this weren't a two hour film that was primarily focused on the love story between these two people with some side development, they could have developed his character even more. Yes, but we also see after him dancing with, um, you know, Arpaz's sister, him bragging, uh, him bragging that he slept with someone from every continent and then goes on to use the word Eskimo, which is incredibly not okay anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and the film even corrects later whenever she goes to meet this Inuit uh, librarian that he slept with and they know the correct word to say, but still chose Eskimo. Also, this movie has the F-slur and the R-slur in it, so I was like, wow, none of this is aging well. He's not, you know, he's, he is the one that found his brother, uh, and his brother committed suicide, and he's approaching the age uh, that his brother was when he committed suicide. So, there's a lot weighing on him, but his whole family is not processing grief in the healthiest of ways because or and specifically the men in the in that family because our pets is shutting down and bursting out violently whereas the father played by pierce brosnan just is, is like i'm just going to keep everyone at arm's length and you know i love you in my own way but i'm i don't want to be around people he just buries himself in work. And I understand people process grief, but at the same time, 
he's ignoring his children, specifically the daughter who is uh, very much has neurodivergent tendencies that have been undiagnosed and are not being treated. You know, and it's, I think it's an interesting dynamic because once again, I, that relationship, the relationship going on in that family, and I will grant the film this, whoever, whoever came up with the concept, whoever wrote it has a, I think has a decent understanding of how relationships operate and how people experiencing grief experience it differently and they treat it differently. And so that's something I'm going to give this movie big time credit for is how it illustrated how different people experience grief differently and how it affects the dynamics of a relationship. Like the father retreated from his children and totally ignored them, which his son who was going, who was experiencing the grief of finding his brother after his brother committed suicide was, it strained their relationship. It's strange what was already a strained relationship because he blamed his father and his father's neglect and expectations for why his brother committed suicide. So that only further kind of confirmed. Yeah. And then on the other side of the movie, uh, you have, you know, the young girl who saw her mother murdered in front of her and the dad. um, I think... She has processed things well, but she's still afraid of subways. That's fair because I was in a car wreck two years ago, and I still am edgy with other drivers. Um, so I get that. But the dad is very much an abusive, uh, a mentally, sometimes physically abusive alcoholic who has not handled the death of his wife at all. I'm not, I'm not even saying well. I'm saying I don't think he's dealt with it at all and i would completely agree and then you have um you know i think that his reactions to the things that she does obviously come from that his own grief of losing his wife and not wanting to you know obviously not wanting to lose his daughter yeah but um one of the podcasts i listened to talk about this movie was just like she is an adult and there is a point where a father does have to realize he can't protect her 24 hours a day, every day of the week. Like, and they would point, they point to things like whenever uh, she, whenever they have their second date at his apartment and she gets drunk and sleeps there. Like, we don't know how many hours it was since, you know, she, you know, she was gone, but long enough for him to uh, freak out uh, abuse his authority by putting out an APB on his daughter and then breaking into her stuff and reading her diary. No, I actually think I, you know, of all, of all the plot holes and the kind of leaps in character development, this film makes, that's the one that doesn't, that bothers me the least because it almost makes sense. Yeah. He gave her cat fair to go out on a date, but he didn't even seem all that thrilled about that. And she came home at an appropriate time. There was no reason for him to get frustrated. She went out on a normal date, came home. She goes out on the second date. As a man who lost his wife and probably had a very similar experience that night, and granted may not have even known whether his daughter was dead or alive until he got to the scene, 
his daughter goes missing. He can't get in contact with her. He doesn't know what's happened to her for like, you have to at least guess from the time she went on the date the night before till obviously the next morning. So probably a good 10 or 12 hours. He has no idea where she is. I'm thinking less. I'm thinking like no more than eight hours. Yeah. So, and I'm not to be clear, none of that is an excuse for how he reacted. No. 100% none of that is an excuse, but it's I un, that that behavior tracks with his personality, I should say. Like that to me wasn't so much of a leap. It was just a reaction to the situation. A very poor, awful, bad yeah. reaction to the situation, but it was still just a reaction to the situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is fair. And I guess I can give him, you know, calling out an APB because, I mean, he has a cop. He at least has the ability to do that. And it's not like he didn't try and get in contact with her prior yeah. to that happening. But, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I Okay, so I guess I kind of want to talk about some of the things I do like about this movie, which they do exist. Um but even sometimes I'll, I'll like moments within the scene and the thing before it and after it, it goes too far <laughs> or goes in directions I just didn't care for. Uh, but whenever after um, Aiden, Arpats's room, roommate, basically berates him into going out for a drink, which, by the way, he used he goes about it in the most sh- shitty way a person can because our past is dealing with some emotional trauma. And by the way, there is no timetable to get over, you know, a loss like that, especially whenever it's by suicide and you found the body and there's other factors along with that. But he's like, you've just been moping too long. You never go out anymore. It's like, fuck you, dude. (laughs) And you have to keep it in context too. You have to keep it in context because they actually explain the age difference and when it happened. So if it was six years ago, he was only 16 years old when he found his brother. Yeah. Well, I mean, is, it didn't matter if he found him whenever he was 21. I mean, no, still. but I mean, I, I think when you're, when you're young too, it, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It, it makes an impression on anybody, but I think it, 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 it almost forms you more as a person Then when you experience trauma as an adult and you are in a better place to process it. I like the fact that he tries to say, hey, these two musicians were also also, you know, innocent. You know, they were just, you know, getting their ass kicked. And I I think it's kind of realistic when Cooper says, uh, why should I give a shit? Oh, I totally agree. And I actually really like that scene. I mean, it's it's one of the actual character development scenes in the film where it gives you a little indication of who he is as a person and sort of where he's at in life yeah when i was watching that scene i think i texted you it's like "Hmm." he's brooding he's dealing with familial loss and he's and he's beating the shit out of someone however did they think he might be batman It's all I could see after you mentioned that. I could see yeah. so many parallels between this character. I am convinced whoever considered casting him as Batman has seen this film. I would hope they saw some other films too. <laughs> just, just pointing that out. Um, and so. it does, I mean, it does lead, that fight does lead to the most significant relationship in the film. So 
what is your take as far as how they got from point A to point B with their relationship? Because we we talking about Tyler and Allie now. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't hate it, but it is very. It's very cliche. They took a very simplistic, very overly used um, plot point for their relationship. I, I think that was a mountain made out of an anthill, the whole bet part of it, because it's not important. He went over there and asked her out as, a, as kind of a dare. That immediately kind of went away because there was a genuine attraction. Yeah, it was, it, you know, in every other film they've done it, it's worked because it was a, it was like a major plot point. And in this film, it's almost like, oh, so we need a reason for them to meet. Mm-hmm. What if she's the and then daughter we had, of the cop? Yeah, and then we need a reason for it to go badly and so they can get back together in that third act. Oh, yeah, remember that bet they made, like, for three lines of dialogue? Yeah, let's, let's make that important now. Yeah, and they tried to kind of connect it by having her dad find out about it first and have him confront him about it, but there was never, like, an indication that he felt bad about what he was doing because I don't think at any point he was ever dating her just for a bet. I don't think that no. ever really Mm-mm. existed. No, I mean, I think you know, had this been any other movie or like in a real, real life relationship, it would have been a cute story. Like I, I was dared to ask you out and I'm so glad I took that dare. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, it's, you know, I, it's not a slap worthy offense. No, and I mean honestly, well, we'll, we'll kind of get to it because that that is one of the biggest to me missed over plot points in this entire film. But while we're on the subject of their relationship, I have a question. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Allie's dessert theory? <laughs> okay, <laughs> two things. Number one, um. Did you ever watch Leave It to Beaver, the the TV show? Um, I might have seen an episode or two. Yeah. So, you know, being you know a little bit older, I got exposed to a whole lot more of you know classic television uh, than you probably did because you know you were probably exposed to like good stuff. Uh, but there was a character in that show called Eddie Haskell who always ate his dessert first. So that was my first thought. But when she gets into her explanation of why she wants to eat the dessert before she eats her vindaloo, I actually think that was a pretty solid argument. I I completely agree. She sort of convinced me. I mean, if I had a bigger sweet tooth, I would agree with her. Yeah. The only thing is, how spicy is the vindaloo? You might want that ice cream to cool some shit down. Well, now you're just thinking this through too much, John. Great one-liners in this film. And I'm not sure great's actually the word for them, but they are there. There are some lines that are better than many other lines. Also, can we talk about how everything that Robert Pattinson says is nearly, is basically a soliloquy? Yes. Oh, and also, whenever I... So, during the movie, there are several instances of him going to... A, di- a diner, the diner he and his brother used to go to, and he would write in his journal to his brother. And 
there was narration, and I was just like, oh, fuck, narration, are we doing this? You know, I actually liked that. I, I thought that was a, I thought that was really interesting, and what happened in the end. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> so, I have another question for you, and it's a scale of one to ten question. On a scale of one to ten, ten, ten being the highest possible number, how much do Pierce Brosnan's employees hate him? Like an eight. Maybe oh, a nine. You, you think that low? <laughs> I think it depends on the employees because I think some of them he pays well and some yeah. of them he doesn't. So, yeah. um, uh, Basically anyone other than his secretary. I his- also think that, well, yeah, because I think she probably sees the good side of him more than other people. I will yeah. say this. They and also front- the... Oh, go ahead. Uh, and also the only one who would uh, respond to being told to sit the fuck down. It's like, no, you're sitting the fuck down. <laughs> Which, think, by the way, the two uses of the F word in this movie were mwah, spot on. <laughs> I kind of um, like those. So everyone in that room was incredibly uncomfortable. And I think they did a good oh, job yeah. with that. But mm-hmm. basically everybody, all his employees had a, and those were probably his board members, but Everybody had a front row seat to what a shitty father he was. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Like, I don't think that he called a board meeting during his daughter's art show. Um, I think just sometimes he's put in a situation where he has to go to work. He has no choice. I mean, I think I'm assuming he's probably a very high powered attorney who sometimes has to work late whether he wants to or not. So, with that in mind, I don't think some of what he does is malicious. And I think that sometimes our Pat's overreacts just because, you know, things didn't go the way he thought they should go. And I, I think, was... and I think that, w- that, that, that scene was not, you know, Pierce Brosnan being put in his plate. I think that was two assholes ha- having it out in front of a bunch of innocent bystanders. <laughs> Okay, so I both agree and disagree with you. Okay. Um, I'm going to agree that I don't think everything he did came from a place of maliciousness. I think that is 100% true. However, I think that he is completely ignorant to what's going on with his children. And I do mm-hmm. agree. I, 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 Okay, I don't think this is like the Hallmark style, screw this person, they have a job, you mm-hmm. know, and all big corporate people are bad. I don't think it's that as much as clearly this is a guy where he may not have called a board meeting, but this is a guy that always puts his job first. Yeah. I mean, because that is the kind of time when you recognize how important it is to your child that you say, okay, I understand, but this has got to wait. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, and that's what his son's saying to him. However, I do agree with you that it's two assholes in a room, and both of them, to a degree, are wrong. The difference is his son is still young and is still a kid, to a degree. And so it's his responsibility as the father to be... He's he's the one that's got to put it aside, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, I don't have any love for Pierce Brosnan. However, I do love his... I do love him in this film. I think this is 
there was one moment with from Pierce Brosnan that genuinely made me smile. So I think that's a good setup to get into this part of the film of the the neglected daughter who is having a shit time because only one per- person is giving her the time time of day, or if they are giving her the time of the day, it's to make fun of them. That I, I mean, that little girl that, is. Is the tragedy of the entire film. I want to see a movie. I want to see a sequel just about her. And the title is Whatever Dollar Amount She Has Spent on Therapy from Her Fucking Family. (laughs) She goes through a lot. I mean, our first introduction to her is basically her getting, you know, and then the whenever she's invited to the sleepover and they cut her hair. It's just, it was absolutely the worst. And yeah. I, and it inspired one of the worst scenes and then one of the best moments as well. The With him reading to her, I do. I, I Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm, that, that was that my was favorite very, moment. Oh, that, I mean, that was an incredibly sweet moment. And also, uh, this, it was the uh, screenwriter trying to uh, remind the entire audience that he's read Greek mythology because oh my god that comes up so much. Um, but one of the worst scenes is whenever he walks her to school and goes in and basically uh, nearly assaults a child. I would not. I would actually say he straight up assaults a child by you know knocking all the stuff off of her desk and then just spinning her desk around a couple of times. But I completely agree. I mean he's. And that is something that I do like about this film is they do not paint him out to be any kind. I mean, every character in this in this film is deeply, deeply flawed. Yeah, but it leads into the scene of uh, his dad bailing him out. And uh, this part actually kind of made me smile whenever uh, Pierce Brosnan, he's not even mad that he's bailing out his son for assaulting a child. He is just like, He's just like, I'm going to basically, you know, he all but burned that school to ashes and uh, litigation. But he's like, I'm a prick, but I have my uses. I'm like, I like that line. I like that <laughs> line a lot. <laughs> it's like, because it's accurate. But that was the moment. Like, that was like the one father-son bonding moment. But I do also appreciate that whenever um, he was reading to her and then Allie came over and sort of rebuilt their relationship kind of i think but the fact that pierce Brosnan actually showed up you know right i mean i think that was kind of the first step in the right direction so i mean okay i'm gonna posit this theory this is kind of the conclusion i've come to Mm -hmm. sort of after watching it and and going through the discussion i think there's a really really good story here I think the problem is that it's smushed into a two-hour film that didn't yeah. have the ability to really flesh out these characters or tell the story. I think this almost would have been better as a television series. I'm not going to lie. Whether it Maybe. would be a miniseries or... Well, one of the reviews I read was basically like, this is 30 minutes of drama and stretched out over two hours. So... And maybe with a longer runtime, because I have seen this happen before, a longer getting to flesh out and you know spend time in different areas can make a film better. And, and it's it's hard to think about because in its current form, you wouldn't necessarily want it to be any longer. No, nope. but it could <laughs> it could benefit greatly from 
sort of fleshing out some of the the plot holes they just completely skipped over. Yeah. Well, and maybe put in the hands of... I'm just going to say it maybe a better director. I don't know. This is the only one of his films I've seen. I haven't seen Hollywood Land, but this is his last film to date. He's done some television episodes, and then um, if he's worked on anything... Wikipedia and the Internet Movie Database doesn't know about it. So, I mean... You know, and that kind of explains it, because it it does, to me, in part, it almost reads like a television series. Like, it had... It had snippets of moments, and it just... It didn't put it all together, especially towards the end. I think one of the biggest... I think one of the biggest gaps this film had is in the reconciliation of their relationship. She went from finding out that he knew her father and that he dated her as part of a bet and getting furious at him to semi-forgiving him. Yeah. Well, and, you know, their last scene together, you know, he tells her he loves her, and she's like, you're right, I love you too, and, you know, you better. Like, you can tell their relationship had been patched up. But, I mean... We, you we never got to see ends, that process. Yeah, and this movie ends on 9-11, and they're coming back from a Labor Day weekend. So, ostensibly, the last half hour of this movie takes place over, like, what, six days at most, maybe? And the fact is that we go from getting choked out by her father to confessing something that really, I'm sorry, and this may be why I'm single, but not that big of a damn deal that he asked her out as a dare or a bet. But the fact, you know, because like I said earlier, that could be kind of more of a meet cute and a cute story to tell later. Um, to all the shit with his sister, and then suddenly things are patched up. That's a quick week. That's a and really, they could have solved. Honestly, they could have solved that that issue with a conversation. Like, yeah. had they thrown in one additional scene where they had a conversation about what happened, mm-hmm. all of that could have made sense. Yeah. The fact that they reconciled and everything, all of that could have made sense. But instead, she just showed up for her sister, and then the next thing you know, they're walking in the park, hanging out with his sister. Yeah. And she's just like, you know, crappy move using your little sister to, you know, mm-hmm. to get me back. And it's it, it does. It... You miss something. Mm-hmm. And that is one of my two major frustrations with this movie is that it either that so much important stuff is not here and so much stuff that could honestly have been reduced or cut down or cut out completely is here. Do we want to get into the um, the, the, the last... Are we ready for our segments? No, no. I think we're ready. Do we want to talk about the most uncomfortable, drawn-out 15 minutes of cinema ever? Yes. Okay. I'm just going to lay this out now, and I do not mean any disrespect whenever I say this, but the use of 9-11 in this movie just seems so incredibly gross to me. Like, the fact that they use a real-world tragedy to make an emo- an emotional button point on this movie seems kind of offensive to me, to me. 
and to a lot of people. Uh, and I think it may be a generational thing where younger people don't really have as much of a problem with it as maybe some older people because critics older than me trash this movie and specifically we're talking about how offensive it was that they were using 9-11 this way. And that's, but we can't pretend this is the only movie that has done that. I mean, Pearl Harbor exists. That whole movie was steeped around another tragedy, you know, that happened on quote unquote American soil. Cause I don't think Hawaii was because Hawaii wasn't a state yet, but it was a territory that, and I've also seen movies that have like team America who uses nine 11 as the base, as the, not necessarily as a punchline, but as kind of a funny thing to say, to, to tell you how bad a tragedy is, you know, saying something will be worse than a million nine elevens. And we've also had tragedies and stuff that I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole that more people have died from than nine eleven. But we remember nine eleven and things like Columbine for just being blindside kind of tragedies. And you know, we may have had worse things later, but still we kind of remember those two as the thing. Does any of this make sense? It does. I just disagree. I, I just feel like I, I can't believe I'm the one that says I would have rather this movie had the happy ending where they were together and not have that extended thing where he had to die and he had to die, die on 9-11. I'm fine with him dying. It's, it's hard to describe. Okay, let me put it this way. This is, this is the best I can, I can put my position on this. Because they used 9 11, mm-hmm. I am glad there was not a happy ending. And I'm, I'm glad he, I'm not glad he died, obviously. Um, and I remember seeing the film being very angry about it, mostly on behalf of the sister. Because she, oh, I mean, literally, sister. <laughs> could, you, could you be any more awful to a character than losing both of her siblings, being an already pretty tortured child? And, and then left behind with Pierce Brosnan. Well, I mean, it's just, it's completely a tragic story for her. It's awful. And I yeah. was so angry at the filmmakers for telling the story because it's very, um, it's very hopeless. I mean, it, re- it really is. It's very hopeless, which is why I'm okay with the use of 9-11. Because the way this film was filmed, in my opinion, had it been filmed differently, I would have been far more offended because that, I mean, for the people that live through it and I can imagine people, especially that live in New York, it's a very, it's a very real thing for the people that witnessed it in person. Um, and the fact that this movie was a little more realistic and done a little bit more, um, it wasn't as dramatized in the sense of sort of the way I think the filmmaker filmed it and the snippets he used of real life, and that this was, it was a completely tragic story from beginning to end. Yeah, and but I still I, think... I am okay I, with the use of, of that, because here's the deal. This, I think what he was kind of trying to do, this could have been any story of a regular person who passed away. 
Like this, this could have been somebody's story. When you look at Pearl Harbor, when you look at Titanic, those were also incredibly tragic events. And yeah, I didn't bring up Titanic because we didn't go to war with an iceberg after that one. (laughs) That is fair. And I, I don't get me wrong. I do understand that, but those films, those films focus on the, you know, those films focus on the event, but both of those films used a real life event just to purely tell a love story. That is, I don't think that's what this film did. I know, but you're also comparing one really good film to two shitty films. <laughs> and Right, yes, and, and don't give me, there's nothing negative Titanic to say about company. Titanic. <laughs> yeah. I have many negative things to say about Pearl Harbor. Um, the movie. But, I don't know. I, I I guess I get that on paper, but at the same time, I'm like, 9-11 was still so fresh at that point, and it's still kind of fresh now. I mean, like you said, we have now an entire generation of people who weren't even alive when 9-11 happened. If, it's, if this is the story of anyone that could, could have been killed at any time, I... I just still just don't like the use of 9-11. And I think it would have been, if he had to die, I, I personally, as a writer, would have had him getting on the subway and being shot, you know, in kind of like her mom, just because that's kind of symmetry, bookended kind of things. I think I would have been... Yeah. I think now, I would have been far angrier. I, I don't know. I think I would have been less angry. But at, at the same time... I was also driven nuts by, and I, spoiler, did know the, you know, the twist, if you can call it that, because even though it was incredibly ter- telegraphed the entire time that this movie was going to end on 9-11, but just that every scene that was just drawn out, specifically the scene in the, uh, once he gets to his dad's office, and everything is just so ponderous and quiet and you're just like they are milking this for every possible second also i was so glad that they didn't show you know the actual event well i agree and that would have been completely insensitive and gratuitous but i i I, it's very difficult to explain my position and why exactly it doesn't offend me that they chose to do this and i think that's because i don't know I think it's just because it's real life and I'm, I'm more okay with a film saying we're not going to make like, okay, let me put it this way. Had they made the, had they made this entire film about nine 11, I think it might've been a little bit different, but the fact that they made this film kind of from start to, to finish, this is real life. This is how people experience it's tragedy. This is the way that people deal with it, and they used. Okay. <laughs> so, but I hear where you're coming uh, from. I think I just yeah. would have been far, far more. I think the fact that they did what they did shows me where the mind of the writer was. Whereas I think I would have been much angrier. He just got shot on the subway. I'd have been like, "Oh, great! You just made me watch a film about how tragic things happen and horrible things happen to good people, and it's just we should all be sad." Whereas I'm generally more of a fan of optimistic and (laughs) an optimistic outlook on life. Just saying. All right. So we ready to move on to categories? Yes. 
Okay, so I do have a creepy or chromantic. Okay. Um, I already know what my answer is before you ask the question, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Creepy or chromantic. Um, showing up with... Uh, Showing up after two dates with a guy to ask to move into his apartment. Okay, well, I don't... Okay, I'm neither. Because it was some... I mean, I don't think she showed up to move in. I think she showed up looking for a safe place to go because she didn't feel safe at home. And things just went so well, she just never left. Uh, But it does raise the question of, does she not have other friends that she stayed with? (laughs) <laughs> but also at the same time her dad probably does know her other friends whereas she doesn't know he knows this guy so this probably seemed like a safe option so I'm actually going to say neither <laughs> you surprised me okay. I, I, I think she got enough of a sense to be like I might be safer here in this with this semi strange man than, you know, going to, like, her best friend's house because, her, you know, her dad knows. Right. Probably. And I do feel for her because she had to stay in what I am certain that if you looked up the term bachelor pad in the dictionary, there would be a picture of that apartment. As a bachelor, I would like to disagree with that statement because I thought it was some sort of crack house or youth hostel. (laughs) (laughs) But... No, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. You're more right than I want to admit. <laughs> also, right. was was Aiden sleeping in the fucking hallway? Yes, yes, there was bunk beds in the so, hallway, and that is where so, Aiden lived. Oh, gee, like, at least, you know, curtain off a section of the living room. Don't stick him in the hallway. Also, there's a hallway in an apartment. I know. As big as that apartment was in New- in New York, I can't even imagine how much it costs. Uh, uh, it doesn't <laughs> matter because uh, this movie establishes that both that all of the children in this movie are very financially well taken care of. <laughs> this is fair. Yeah. Okay, so it's time for best line, worst line. John, do you have a best line? Um, one second. I, you know, I'm going to have to say that the best line is probably the entire dessert monologue and rationale. Like, that was pretty good and solid. And also, listeners will uh, have heard at least a snippet of that as the opening to this episode, because I've already pulled clips. So, I, I kind of was teetering between a couple, but definitely I love the fight that they had in, uh, between Aiden and Tyler in the jail, where Aiden says, I want a family, kids. It's a divorce, erectile dysfunction. Yeah. A, gr- a wife, a girlfriend. A <laughs> um, and I have to say, I actually liked that quote um, that Tyler has during the beginning because I distinctly remember it being part of the preview where he talks about where he quotes Gandhi. I, I kind of thought it worked. So do you have a worse line? Yes, I do, unequivocally. Teens, that's fine. I can do teens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going, instead of just saying any line that comes out of Aiden's mouth, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to have two. Uh, the, the pitch of the slut tote, and also at some point when, uh, 
whenever uh, Aiden's trying to convince him to go to Atlantic City for his birthday, and he responds with, I'd rather be sodomized with a toothbrush. Like, what did toothbrushes do to the writer of this movie? <laughs> a lot of Aiden's lines become contenders. Um, I do have to say... One of uh, one of my like I I can't decide, so I'm gonna let you decide. Is this the best line or a worst line? There's a whole lot of ugly, but there's a lot more alcohol. Oh God, it's just <laughs> terrible. Mostly because I probably know people who have said something similar to that. I know, and I, it's kind of brilliant in its in its honesty. I mean, this is all. I mean, you're making me vote on the line, but from a character whose favorite comedian is probably Dane Cook. Oh my God, I feel like I should be insulted by that, but please tell me your favorite comedian is not Dane Cook. No, but for a period of time when I was younger, it was, and for my 18th look, birthday, we, I actually went to go see him live. Look, we all experimented with Dane Cook. <laughs> Yeah, it was a phase and we all grew out of it. Okay, so if you're ready, time for our final segment. So, John, what did you like about this film that we have not talked about? Okay, I did like some of the soundtrack choices. In fact, I actually found the soundtrack uh, on Spotify. I just haven't listened to all of it, but I, I know I texted you. I was just like, all right, immediately five points in this movie's benefit for having a. a a random Ani DeFranco song in the soundtrack. But um, we didn't really talk... I mean, we talked a lot about Arpats' performance, but we didn't really talk about Emily DeRaven that much. I, Given what she had to do, I thought she did a good job. And also, she probably is the best at doing the... At being the non-American, doing the American accent. Agreed. Followed by Arpats. And then uh, there's a crater, and then Pierce Brosnan is allowed to enter the chat. Like, like it was not his own accent, but it was something. I don't know what he was going for. But so, oh, and okay. well, and I do kind of like, even though when you think about it, it is kind of gross. The play fight they're having on the second day when she dumps the pasta water on him. It just become it just becomes gross when you realize what's in pasta water and the fact that they never that at least one of them doesn't change clothes until the next day. Like mm, you got a bunch of starch and oil and salt on you, you're probably gross. All right, what do what do you got? So there's a there's a few things I really loved the I liked the chemistry. Between Robert and Emily. Mm-hmm. I think they did. I, I think they both did a really good job. Um, and I think I think that their characters worked well together. I think that I think for the short period of time they had to do character development with these two characters. They did a good job as far as the two main characters were concerned. Mm-hmm. Some of the side characters fell off a little bit. Um, I loved all of the stuff with the little sister between uh, Robert Pattinson and the little sister. I think that yeah. those scenes were really, really good. And. It was an entirely different side to his character. Yeah, not which angry. I, <laughs> which I think that the movie desperately needed. Despite yeah. people's feeling feelings about the ending, I think the twist was perfectly executed because I didn't see any of the telegraphing till after the first time I saw the movie. I absolutely 
did not see it coming. Which I kind I kind of liked because the reason is it gave it gave a feeling about what a tragedy like that, how that happens to people. They don't see it coming. And so I understand the, the concept and the issue of using a real life event, but I will say I I liked how it was almost like the filmmaker went, I'm going to point and pick a random person in this city leading up to this tragic event, and I'm going to show what's going on in their life leading up to that day. Okay, John, what didn't you like? Besides and Boogie Nights all- rules apply. <laughs> I, you know, I think we need to re- revisit, revisit Boogie Nights rules because I think I rambled on for a good 10 minutes, so I think Boogie Nights gives me... Uh, Boogie Nights Rolls is like I get at least ten minutes, but no. I mean, I mean, I kind of feel like I've said everything I need to say about the movie. I mean, because I think I've hit every single thing that I wanted to bitch about, and and you know, we but we're both currently speaking to each other, so I think it went well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I mean, I I really mentioned most of the issues I had with it, and it was just. I, I wish they had filled in those gaps. I wish they had made the story more complete. Um, and also, it just... Nor, you know, it's crazy. Normally, I would have come out of a film like this easily being more angry about what happened to... Well, and I think I was equally angry about what happened to um, Ali's character and then what happened to his little sister's character. Because it was... I mean, both of these people's lives were just racked with tragedy and loss. Yeah, And so it does, I, I mean, the film does leave you at the end with this kind of feeling of like, I mean, why, why did I sit through this? Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Sparks doesn't inflict this so much emotion, emotional damage <laughs> on his audience. And especially at the end where it was like the father started spending time with her and it really took the loss of both of his sons for him yeah. to, to decide that it was time to start investing in the only child he had left. Ah, fuck, I got one left. I guess I should start giving a shit now. <laughs> so, but that's kind of where I was. So, it's time for the big question. And I think you not, need to go... <laughs> I think you need to go first, because I'm, I'm fairly certain the listeners know where I stand. <laughs> I think they know where I stand, too. But let's just do it, because this is what we do at this point. Sammy, did you... Did we survive? Remember me? Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I hate this movie. I hate this movie. I owe Safe Haven an apology level of hate this movie. <laughs> that being said, I am glad I saw it um, because it is nice to see where Robert Pattinson was beginning to break out of Edward Cullen. I don't know if he was this for me. I don't know if he was necessarily successful in this film. It was just a non-sparkly Edward. You know, he has all of the emotional problems and none of the sparkle. But this did lead to him getting to start to write his own ticket, even if it was in films that not a lot of people saw. But, I mean, if, I mean, Twilight, he could have milked that for years and he probably still earns a nice chunk of change, especially now that these movies are on Netflix and, all you nuts are uh, watching this again. <laughs> and I, I have no room to talk. I own all three Sleepaway Camp films. So, but I, 
just from the inconsistencies to the use of the tragedy to just some of the filming choices, like I just did not like this movie. Now, had I not known the twist, I, I don't know the level of yelling I would be doing right now. But even going in knowing it, I still walked away like, I, I just don't like this movie. I think there is a hilariously bad movie in this if you want to watch it. Like, you know, because podcasts have compared this to The Room. I don't know if I disagree because I know for a fact I will watch The Room many more times in my life than I'll ever watch this movie again. Well, okay, so I think that that says something about... Me? Um, no, 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 no. I think that says something uh, about the film. Not necessarily good about the room, and not necessarily bad about this film because you like you cannot even possibly compare the two films because the difference the difference being what Tommy Wiseau did. I mean, he made something that is so laughably terrible that it's it's an entertainment. You cannot sit around and watch this film with your friends. And I think get enjoyment out of it the way you can with a Hallmark movie because there's you nothing can. funny about what happens in this film. And I don't and I don't mean that in a bad way. And I'm gonna go ahead and I, I think you can, but it's you have to look at this movie as camp. And camp in the true meaning of something so overly something so deadly serious and not succeeding in its goals, and I and I, I do acknowledge this is opinion that if you get a bunch of assholes together with some drinks, you could rip this movie to shreds in the same way you could rip the room to shreds or a Hallmark movie to shreds. The right audience in the right circumstances, you can rip this movie to shreds and have fun. But also like the room, I would not watch this movie on my own without a group of people. And uh, I've never uh, watched the room on my own. Okay, like, it, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I, I, it's your opinion, so, like, that's mm. fair, because you're entitled to that opinion. Um, yeah. The I think that the, ver- the vast difference, and the reason I disagree, is The Room is not only, it, it, is, it is the epitome of camp, it's like sleepaway camp, it's so poorly acted, so poorly executed, you don't get in your mind how anybody ever thought this could be good. This film has a the writing that exists and the actual dialogue in between the missed plot points is not terrible. The acting is decent. And I would say in some cases better than decent. The acting carries the film. I see this in an entirely different view. I don't think there's a laughably bad movie here. I think there's a good film here that didn't quite make it. And I'll, like, I'll give I, you that, that. Yeah, that's, that's where I disagree. I think there was a good film here mm-hmm. that didn't achieve its goal. Whereas, I, I'm sorry, you cannot say that about The Room. <laughs> There's no good film there. Um, so, um, I mean, I, I understand, but I think sometimes, I think some of people's hatred, they, they, can't, they cannot get past the ending, which I definitely understand. And, and for me, the ending is a lot of it, but also the end. The before the ending is a lot of it as well. Like, like I didn't like this movie from the moment Martha Plimpton died. 
So which I and and I'll say the thing I liked about the this episode is because when you first saw the movie, your opinion was a little bit different. It wasn't but entirely when, different, but you were more on the fence. I was, and it was, and sometimes like some of the greatest films, I've had to watch a second time to form my true opinion. One of my favorite films is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In my first viewing, I couldn't have definitively told you if I liked the movie or not because right. it had a different feel to it. Whereas on the second viewing, I I was just like, okay, no, I know 100%. I love this movie and we'll watch it 8,000 more times. And as we were talking, or as you were talking and I was looking at my film shelf, I, I thought of a movie that took a real life tragedy and handled things much better, and that's Schindler's List. And that is a movie that um, there is some humor in that movie, and it's, you know, because people in the camps did use humor to kind of get through what was going on but that is a movie that you can't rip to shreds because it's just and you know unless you're just a complete unredeemable human being Uh, right and yeah i i and it's one of i don't feel like you can compare it to that either i mean it's very difficult to compare films that the entire film was about the tragedy yeah to a film that that the entire film was about how people handle tragedy as opposed to the actual tragedy itself. If that makes any sense. No, it, it does. It does. So, um, well, okay. So anyways, and, um, you, and you can't even compare this to something like United 93 because it's all about that day. It is all about that. Whereas it is like you have act one, act two, act three in this movie. And then a really even more depressing coda than the, first three acts right um it's yeah it's it's just different so yeah um i don't think it's any surprise uh yes i did survive i mean i know this Mm. i know this film has flaws but i see i see where this had the makings of a of a better film i don't think it's a bad film but i see where this had the makings of a better film and the the potential that was there yeah, and I would 100% love to see uh, the version of the script that made the blacklist. And also, I think that the best character in this movie is the little sister. So, always is. Yeah, always is. This and to all the boys. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, have. I I can't fault anybody. You know, it, it's it's weird that the ending of this film would not have upset me more. Like, I think mm-hmm. it probably did at the time, but it's, it is weird that I like this film given the ending, but, and that, to me, that says something because it, it says there was something in this film for me to care about other than just the romance story part yeah. of it, which I like because I, I get it. I don't blame, I don't blame anybody for having, ru- at the end of a movie, ruin the film because I still haven't gotten over La La Land, so... Hey, two words, safe haven. <laughs> I believe in my rant, I owed it an apology. <laughs> but no, and and again, you know, you and I agree completely on some films and we disagree wildly on every other film. And at least I, I don't disrespect, you know, think less of you for your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that being said, you got any... Uh, <laughs> That being said, now that we've gotten this tragedy out of the way, what's the next tragedy you have for me? <laughs> so I 
think um, next week we are continuing on with the um, Kissing Booth trilogy. So stay yes, tuned we are. for another film. It's unlikely John will survive. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, I survived the first one. This is fair. This is fair. This, this Now, I do think this is, is going to be the moment where it, the trilogy is made or broken for me. So, But hey, you know, to all the boys, too, uh, and three were my favorites of the trilogy. So maybe this will be more of the same? Question mark? Well, keep that optimistic attitude. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, at least Joseph will be back next week, and he's allegedly going to suffer with this. So. <laughs> but uh, you got anything you want to plug this week? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I do. I, I'm going to keep it very, very quick, because uh, I'm starting to fade. Um, but uh, Shang-Chi and the T- Legend of the Ten Rings, the new Marvel movie, Okay, so therefore it is Iron Man 25. Uh, I got to see that last week. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I knew next to nothing about Shang-Chi. And so, you know, my, my stakes for this movie were really low. And it's honestly one of the best Marvel movies. You know, I think it's one of the best Marvel movies. It is a nice mix of uh, action and comedy and fun and... Um, yeah, it, it's definitely worth seeing, and I'm glad a lot of people are seeing it and connecting to it, because I was super worried, like, is this going to be Marvel's first bomb? And they just continue to prove they know what they're doing over there. Well, very cool. Yeah. And also, it has Aquafina for the entire run, and she is not insufferable for the entire run. Because so. <laughs> she's good in small doses, but I was worried, like, oh, God, she's a main character, and pleasantly surprising. Of course, I need to see that movie she did the, the called The Farewell. I hear she's really good, and that's kind of more of a dramatic film. So, all right. And on that note, and on Sammy's silence, <laughs> um, uh, listeners, uh, thank you for uh, coming back this for another week of this. Uh, if you like what you heard, give us a five star rating on i on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and can rate. Also, we're we're on uh, Audible and Amazon now. So, and if you listen to the show and you like it, uh, have you know. Tell a friend about us. You know, we we want to we want to add to the audience. And I know some of us pointing fingers directly at me have not been consistent on getting episodes out. But you know, I'm trying. <laughs> but uh, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. I know Sammy's got TikTok, Instagram, and um, and uh, YouTube. You're you're handling those Alrighty. well. Yes, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. you got us our you got us our first uh, copyright takedown on TikTok this week for inappropriate materials. It's a big accomplishment. I know. I was proud of you. <laughs> the 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 listener that that saw that Caligula clip, you know, will live in infamy forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Sammy, thank you for uh, doing this with me. Joseph will be back next week, and until then. Um, never forget. Surviving Chick Flicks is created and hosted by John Baggett and Samantha McDaniel. Our audio engineer and editor is Cody McLean. For an ad-free version of the show, please visit patreon.com slash surviving chick flicks 
where $5 a month gets you an ad-free version of the show as well as our manly movie of the month. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. All opinions are that of the hosts, and no copyright infringements are intended. Surviving Chick Flicks is a Circle of Jug production, all rights reserved. Who's this display for? It's for you. She knows I'll take care of her. <laughs> and? We really can't come back. Sit the fuck down! Now!